What's the game you really want to run? What world? What genre? Whose story? Is it possible to create a world that really excites you? Hello, rescuers! I'm Che Webster, and this is Roleplay Rescue, the podcast about rediscovering your lost role-playing hobby. Today, I am stepping off into the wild. I'm going to talk about the game that I really want to run, and I'm going to invite you to come do the same. This episode is filled with contentious statements and provocative claims. Take it as you like. Even I'm not sure how serious I am about doing this, but I am keen to share the idea. This is Season 3, Episode 7. There's a game that I really want to run. It's not something that everyone else around me necessarily wants me to run. It's the game that I want. The world that excites me, that makes me want to get out of bed and start writing. Ever since I first started the role-playing hobby, there have been dreams. By dreams, I mean literally having fantastic glimpses of other worlds, other people and other events while I am asleep. During my waking moments, I have a tendency to lose the details of these dreams, but some of the ideas have repeated so many times that they stick. Other thoughts and images, feelings and the sense of place Those tend to arise unbidden from my subconscious when something else reminds me of them. All this stuff is latent and stirring within my unconscious. I think this experience within my hobby is the reason why Carl Jung's work makes so much sense to me. I believe in the collective unconscious because I have experienced glimpses of things that are far outside of my own actual existence during my lifetime, up until the here and now. I digress. Ever since I started the role-playing hobby, there have been dreams. The oldest and most vivid of those dreams began in a world that I began to call my Kovnia. This is a world of fantastic warriors and dragons, of battles and scenes of destruction. It is the world that I have on many occasions over the past 36 years or so since the dreams began, tried to codify and build. But doing so, I always seem to break down because each time I bring the dreams to the table, I find myself squeezing them into the shape of a set of assumptions designed by someone else. And it's not just my Kovnia that suffers from this treatment. All my imagined worlds, all the places, people, stories and events somehow defy the conventions of traditional role-playing games. Today, I want to out this problem and try to unpack the reasons for this phenomenon. I also want to tell you about the worlds which most excite me. The stuff that makes me want to get out of bed at 3am and start writing. I'm back to trying to express my Kovnia. I took that name for the new world that I am designing and building for fantasy roleplay with Castles and Crusades. But I use the name not because I like it, but because it feels the most real to me. My Kovnia is a place I have visited in dreams. But my Kovnia 
has never quite fit into the patterns of role-playing that I have experienced at the table. On the surface, my Kovnir is a world of fantasy. There are men, elves and dwarves. There are dragons. Mighty warriors ride across the kingdoms and conquer, loot and spend a rather alarming amount of time destroying things. I remember the four kings of battle who rode from the mountains down into the plains and rained fire from their mighty swords and axes as they slew the peoples of the cities. I remember that they were seeking two important items, a crown and a ring, which would give them power over all the lands. This stuff sounds like the stuff of kitsch, heavy metal and bad fantasy novels now that I talk about it, but it is more than mere imagery. This is stuff that I have seen but it doesn't quite fit the gaming tables that I've sat at. Every time I've sat down to write and run for my Kovnia, it stalls. The problems arise when I try to bring the world to a game system. That's when I start bumping up against the hard edges of someone else's design. It's where my Kovnia's richness gets totally missed and all the shine gets rubbed off. The problem is caused by two things. Rules that reduce the world and players who don't really visit the world. I am on the record for saying that every world run with Dungeons & Dragons ends up being basically the same. This is controversial, of course, and people generally end up explaining to me that the problem is not the game of Dungeons & Dragons, but rather my own lack of imagination and failure to build a unique world. But I stand by the statement as an expression of my own experience with fantasy role-playing games generally. They all end up being basically the same world. In short, I find the conventions of a genre too restrictive. I find the assumption that a fantasy world contains men, elves, dwarves, halflings, half-orcs and half-elves. I am, of course, drawing from the list most familiar to players of Advanced Dungeons & Dragons and its derivatives. I find that that assumed world is too much the same every time. The placement of medieval towns and the building of fortifications, the use of magic, the existence of goblins and orcs, the expectation of dragons, of dungeons even... All of this is, ultimately, for me, too restrictive. But it is the standard expectation of fantasy. Science fiction is, oddly, both more vague and yet more restrictive. In science fiction worlds, you have to exclude a swathe of ideas and reduce your imagined universe to an even narrower set of genre expectations. True science fiction needs as few elements of wonder as possible. Most people will give you faster than light travel as a starting point. After that, tastes vary, but you'll probably persuade people to have at least an alien species and really cool but scientifically improbable weapons, usually involving light behaving in ways that it really shouldn't. I'm looking at you, blaster bolts. If you add too many elements of the fantastic, people will huff and pish and say that you've just made a fantasy in space as if fantasy in space were somehow inferior to proper science fiction. I despise that use of the word just. I do those things in a fantasy world and people will pish and huff and complain that you've put your fantasy in space just as vehemently. But fantasy in space is the game 
that I really want to play. It's why I loved Star Wars from the moment the Star Destroyer flew in from behind me and Blaster Bolt sizzled past the blockade runner it was chasing. The moment Darth Vader used his magic to strangle people across the room, I wanted that magic power too. Of course, George Lucas was careful to frame the magic as some kind of mystical psionic power of the mind so as to fool most folk into thinking Star Wars is science fiction. But for me, no fooling was needed. It is science fiction, even though it isn't really. It's the SF of the pulps, of the Saturday morning matinee movies of the B-list, of the type that the forefathers of the role-playing hobby enjoyed and loved and sought to emulate in their fantasy adventure game in 1974. And that is something that we have lost from our hobby. We are, I feel, too concerned with fitting things into boxes. I don't think players really travel far enough into the creation of the game masters they game with. I think they mostly stay at home, comfy in their own expectations, and and drag the game master back to the places that feel safest. Frankly, I think that a lot of players lack imagination. Hear that? It's the sound of a thousand egos calling out and being suddenly silenced. But I mean it. Players don't really visit the worlds that game masters create. I experienced this most vividly, not with my own creation, but with Greg Stafford's Glorantha. Let's put aside the true fans of Glorantha for a moment, of which, by the way, I do not count myself as being. I am a supportive observer and a wannabe when it comes to Glorantha. I'm not a true fan. I just happen to love what Greg and others have created. Glorantha is, of course, the world in which my first RPG experience happened. It's the world of RuneQuest. Whenever new players come to a table to play Glorantha, my experience is that they immediately try to understand it as a fantasy world. Folk apply the expectations of the classical fantasy genre and either end up warping Glorantha into something else, something less or wind up being frustrated. Usually, given that GMs of Glorantha tend to be true fans, I've witnessed the latter, frustrated players who don't quite get it because Glorantha is a very different kind of world. I mean, it's a place where the rules are based around mythology, not history nor classical fantasy tropes, and it's why I feel inadequate to run Glorantha. But when I've witnessed GMs of Glorantha deal with that, It tends to be a long and slow process of helping players to understand the world they're gaming in. And not many players survive it. My experience of players falls into two broad camps. Those who turn up ready to inflict their own idea of a cool fantasy character onto someone else's world. Or those who come really to unleash their expectation of particular story tropes onto someone else's world. At least the latter group don't usually begin by reducing the beginning of play down to what class and race they want to play. They at least try to look for hooks onto which they can latch their story expectations. But people show up at the table and expect to play, say, Dungeons and Dragons. I don't think they really give a crap about the world you imagined. They are too busy imagining their own stuff to engage with your stuff. And that's why, for the longest time, I gave up trying to be original. And that attitude, those expectations, that experience, 
That has killed my creativity and enthusiasm for the game for far too long. I am waiting for players who are prepared to travel to other worlds. To really travel. Reading David Hargrave's Arduin was the moment that I woke up to the truth about fantasy role-playing games. From there, I travelled back in time to the birth of this wonderful hobby, and I took a look around. Reading the words of Dungeons & Dragons, the original game, for the first time, that was an eye-opener. Even more so, reading the first 30 issues of Alarums and Excursions, the fanzine that supported the earliest days of the RPG hobby, and still survives to this day, reading A&E was an even greater illumination. What I discovered was that these reductive and restrictive expectations of genre and rules, they didn't exist at the beginning. Back in the early days of the hobby, back between 1974 and up to... The early 1980s, role-playing games played with Dungeons & Dragons were fantasy games in the broadest possible sense. It wasn't until the twin shackles of business and genre were applied that this creative energy was squeezed out to the fringes. It is my contention that the need to sell product and the desire to market books led the role-playing games companies to embrace the conventions of literary genre. Gygax wrote AD&D and attempted to codify the way the game should be played at every table. TSR and others tried to sell us the same game idea packaged to emulate a range of literary genres. And in so doing, we all began to narrow our view of what fantasy adventure gaming could be. This is not, by the way, necessarily a bad thing. It was, however... What happened so that role-playing could become an industry? From the standpoint of a gamer 45 years on from the inception of this glorious hobby, the landscape is one of distinct and definite places that you are allowed to visit in your gaming. Each is separate. Sometimes a writer gets to blend two or three and tempts people to try bending the rules. I think that Monty Cook does this with his Numenera and other games. But even so, this is not to be encouraged at too many tables. I often wonder how many players actually play Monty Cook's games. Everyone likes to buy them and talk about them. I've yet to see much played outside of conventions though. But I'm probably being unkind. I love his creativity and willingness to mash things up. I think I'm just frustrated that I don't have enough players who are willing to travel to Numenera or any other worlds that are truly interesting. I guess that I am calling out a desire deep within myself to break these expectations of genre. Why can't I have a troll with a laser pistol on a horse in a post-apocalyptic wasteland covered in zombies and make him a hero? The truth is that I can. As Gary is famously supposed to have said, quote, the secret we should never let the game's masters know is that they don't need any rules, unquote. I think that applies not to game mechanics, but to the rules of genre. We don't need those expectations that limit our imagination. The game I really want to play doesn't fit the rules. It's a world in which fantasy rubs shoulders with science fiction, 
in which dinosaurs run rampant and laser pistols get fired. It's what a lot of people rather insultingly call gonzo. I've used the term myself and I've come to loathe it. It's up there with words like fluff. I hate those terms. They are too simplistic and ever so slightly snobbish. Genre is too limiting for me, at least the literary sense of the word. I want to travel to far-off worlds in my starship and fight aliens, loot ancient tombs from the long-lost empires, and ride wolves. I want to fire guns, do karate kicks, and sweet-talk beautiful princes. I want to wade in the mud and discover how it feels to live on a war-torn battlefront, as much as I want to stride through chromian streets paved with the blood of corporate sponsorship. I don't want to stay in genre. Magic and technology fascinate me. The alien and the familiar intrigue me. I want to bring this creative freedom to the gaming table. But of course, unless I want to play alone, which is definitely a tempting, oh so tempting option, unless I want to play alone, I need to find a way to involve my players. And to do that, I believe we need to take them on a rather dangerous journey. I said that most players don't travel. That's because, in a lot of ways, we don't let them. As a GM, I play it safe. I run what they want and expect, because I know that they'll show up and it'll be a good time. It won't be great. It never lasts. And it gets pretty boring for me to deliver, but it's safe and they'll show up. It's what we've trained people to expect. It's D&D? Oh, then I'll play a half-elf fighter and you can play a dwarven cleric. But you have to start somewhere. And you do have to meet them where they start. In other words, I think the enterprising GM should provide a game that, at least at first, looks comfortable and familiar. From there, though, We need to take the players on a journey. Joseph Campbell spoke of the hero's journey. In his classic 12-point monomythic story structure, Campbell revealed a pattern for heroic journeys. Now, let's be clear. I am emphatically not saying that we should use this story structure to organise the fiction of the campaign. You could, but I think you'd be writing a novel or a movie, not running a role-playing game. No. Instead, I am suggesting that we move the players through the hero's journey. At least, move them through the first act of Campbell's monomyth. It goes something like this. We begin in the ordinary world. In gaming terms, this means we begin it within a familiar and pretty generic setting. Fantasy land, or traveller universe, or mythos world. Wherever your players are comfortable. They are oblivious of the adventures to come. All is safe and familiar. This anchors the players in something they know and they can identify with. They'll create a character and begin to play in a familiar world. After a session or two or three, we move the players with a call to adventure. What it is will be your personal call, but we need to offer the players something that disrupts their expectations and demands that they step out of the familiar 
and into something new, something scary and difficult. It's a quest in the monomyth. I know what mine is going to be already, but this is the crucial stage at which we, as GMs, move the players out of the comfort of genre and into the realm of adventure. Suddenly, anything can happen. It's dangerous. It's weird. It's different. It promises adventure, not staid old tropes, but something adventurous. Be ready, because if Campbell is right, the players are going to refuse the call. They are going to doubt their abilities or outright refuse to go. This will manifest as complaints about breaking the rules. They might think they mean the rules of D&D or whatever game you're playing, but what they mean is the rules in their head. This is more likely the rules of genre. They will bitch and moan. Some might even get up and leave. This is normal. This is the monomyth in play. Be ready for it. You need to be ready with a mentor. Introduce a character within the world who knows what is really going on, but knows enough not to tell them the whole truth. The truth of the world will overwhelm and destroy them. Give them what they need and nothing more. Answer their questions. Let them come to see the possibilities. If necessary, give them an item they need. Give them wise advice. Dispel their doubts or fears and do it through the lens of a character in your world. Play the role. Help them to take the next step. The final step in the beginning of their monomyth. They will need to cross the threshold and begin. They can go willingly or they can be pushed, says Kemble. I err on the side of willingness because this is a game that demands agency. Once the players have all the information they need to make an informed choice about A, going out into this new world, and B, the options they might explore, give them around seven places to choose from, or seven rumours to follow up, or seven people to go and see. Seven is a great number. It's the optimal number of options for a human to make a choice from, give or take to either side. If it's more than nine choices, they'll be paralysed. Five is a good minimum. Seven is, for most people, the sweet spot. Thus, I'd pick out five or six or seven options. Lay them out. Let them choose. And then totally and completely go with their choices. Run the sessions that they choose to play. But let them explore this strange new world you've called them into. They'll be on the road to adventure. They'll start to explore your world. They will leave the limits of genre behind. And it'll be glorious. The question naturally arises as to whether this approach is a manipulation. Are we simply conning players into playing one game and then switching to another without their consent? And the implication is that this is a bad thing. Maybe so. But you still haven't addressed the problem I outlined. The players won't travel to your world. They want to stay safe behind the conventions of literary genre. They don't want to break the rules. That, for me, is the point. We are breaking the rules. When we break the rules, we have to break expectations. 
It's not sufficient to hide behind some imagined social contract. We have to be brave enough to confound expectations. And if we tell them up front, the players will almost certainly say no. And if they do say yes, they will actually stick to their safe expectations. You are mashing up two or three genres. They will allow their own expectations of that mashup to dominate their thinking. They will stay home in their expectations, thinking themselves so clever to have understood your vision. But it won't be your vision. Show, don't tell. That is the storyteller's mantra. You can write them a detailed outline of your world. You can even write a tome covering all the glorious opportunities that lie in wait for them. And let's assume they will even read it, all of it, which I bet they won't. But let's assume they do. They still have to like it and want to play in it. If it's too far from their safe continent of genre, they will say it is too gonzo and dismiss it. They won't say yes. No matter how well you write it, players won't read it, unless they have to, until they are already there. That's when players read background in setting books, when it'll save their bacon. Show. You have to show them your world. You have to lead them into it. They will not leave their safe, comfortable country by themselves. To become heroes, they must be forced to leave. This is the hero's journey. You can't tell them how to be a hero. You have to show them. And that means leading them into your vision. In the end, if it's a manipulation, the question is whether your vision, the game that you really want to play, is going to be worth the effort. Is your breach of genre of breaking the rules justified by the sheer value of the result? And the strange truth is that you probably won't know until you do it. Show them the world you really want to play. Don't let convention bind you. See where it leads. And if it ends up sucking harder than a facehugger, then you know you will have to apologise. So the question is, do you have the courage to be wrong? The world I want to run isn't just one thing. It's a polyglot of ideas that needs expression through the medium of role-playing. I can't express it with mere words. Instead, I must show it to you. And I can't do that in a single podcast. But I can tell you that the key which unlocked how I will show it to the world, to my players and to you, was the rediscovery of one simple word. The word is pulp. My world is pulp. It is a world of archetypal heroes, of magic, of mentalists, tomb raiders, grifters, socialites, pugilists and pilots. There are stars to be visited, worlds to be explored, ancient ruins to be looted, dark forces to be thwarted, and bright hopes to be realised. I've given my imagined ideal game space a name. My world is called Arcana Gravitas. There is a secret to be uncovered, more than one secret in truth, and the world has weight, seriousness, mystery to counter the joys of hijinks and adventure. It's a world that is best revealed in episodes. And that is how I will bring you on the hero's journey with me. I don't need to manipulate you or con you. 
I will tell you about the possibility of adventure. I will write you an Arcana Gravitas adventure and invite you to come and play it. Episodes of Revelation Want to start in a fantasy world but are willing to find out how I want to twist it? I'll write you an Arcana Gravitas adventure that begins on a low-tech world in my magical universe. Rather have a science fiction adventure? I'll take you to a far-off time and place in which technology is your friend. I'll write you an Arcana Gravitas adventure there so that you can experience the reality-bending possibilities from my vision of the future. That's how I propose to tempt you to leave the safe confines of the rules, the familiar country of a genre that has stifled and numbed. I want to show you a wider universe, a game that resurrects a really old idea, the original idea that Arneson and Gygax revealed to the world even before the first Dungeons & Dragons was published, a world inspired by the pulps that they grew up on, the world that I really want to play in, is built on vagueness and freedom to imagine. There are no rules. All I can say for sure is that the critics will want to call it pulp. Do you want to come and play? Let me write you an Arcana Gravitas adventure. Let's get started. The world that I really want to run is more colourful than any that I can read about in someone else's work. It doesn't fully exist yet, but I have begun to create it. I am writing it, and I am inviting players to come and journey into it. If you're bored of the routine of gaming out there, then consider taking a journey into your interior imagination. Get in touch with your dreams. You'll know when you see them because your heart will leap with excitement and your blood pressure will spike. You'll smile, then grin, and laugh, and you'll get engaged. When you write the world you really want to play, you'll find flow, that state in which you lose track of time and in which you experience the bliss of creativity. You'll begin to expand as a gamer. You'll not be constrained by the traditions of genre and rules and structure imposed from expectations outside of yourself. You'll want to run that game. It's the game you really want to run. Beware, however, that you'll have to invite your players to come with you on this journey. Start somewhere familiar. Revel in the banality of your starting point. Let them get comfortable. Then, hit them with a true call to adventure. Watch them bulk, give them a mentor, and see them off into the wilds of imagination. Done well, you'll get a refreshing new campaign that has legs because it's the game you really want to run. The world you are really getting excited about. And one in which your players are truly making discoveries. In time, it'll evolve. You can change your mind because you are not bound by convention. You can find ways to change the rules again. As the new and exciting becomes familiar and banal, invite your players on a second quest, and then a third, ad infinitum. Let's run the worlds we really want to play in. Game on. This podcast is all about helping lapsed gamers find a route back to the gaming table, and I've shared some interesting suggestions about that over the past 25 or so episodes. 
The best episodes, though, have arisen from the questions that you, the listeners, have asked. Thus, I'm going to ask you, what questions do you still have? If you ever want to get in touch, ask questions, or share your point of view, you can leave me a voice message. Just download the Anchor mobile app, search for Roleplay Rescue, and tap on the Messages button to leave yours. Without you, the listeners, I can't hope to tackle the problems people face in really getting back to the table. Thank you for your support. Hi, Jay. Colin here. If someone had asked me the other day, are you interested in hearing about world building software or campaign organisation? I'd have said, uh, not so much. I think I'm okay. But your interview with Janet, I found to be really fascinating. This idea of World Anvil has now got me intrigued. It's probably something I'm going to have to investigate. But, uh, yeah, you kind of really opened my eyes to it. I thought it was a great interview, and um, I'm amazed that there's something that is available that can do all that stuff. Fascinating. And good job, sir. Yeah, I wasn't entirely sure about the episode before we did it, but, you know... Jenna is a fabulous person to chat to and absolutely fascinating to talk to. And you know what? World Anvil really is kind of a powerful and interesting tool. So in hindsight, I'm kind of glad I did it. I really wasn't sure. Like everything I do, Colin, there's a lot of experimentation going on. And you know what? I think that's okay. I think that that may be paying off slowly, bit by bit, episode by episode. Thank you so much for calling in and letting me know that at least one person appreciated the episode because whew, Janet and I, we had a good laugh, but I wasn't sure, I really wasn't sure how talking about World Anvil was going to go down. And I'm really glad that at least one person has found it useful. Cheers, buddy. Thanks for listening to this episode of Roleplay Rescue. I hope you enjoyed it. As promised at the start, there have been contentious statements and provocative claims. Take it as you like. Even I'm not too sure how serious I am about it. Thank you also to the amazing Roleplay Rescue Patreons who support the show through their generous donations and encouraging words. And thank you to you too, the listener, for grabbing this episode and giving it a listen. If you want to get in touch or ask questions or share your point of view, you can leave me a voice message. Or you can drop comments onto the Roleplay Rescue pages on MeWe or Facebook. And you can even drop me an email. That's hello at rpgrescue.com. I'm Che Webster. Thanks for listening. And I'll be back next week with another episode of Roleplay Rescue. Game on.